Hi, Journey. I'm excited to introduce to you Pastor Brian Van Epps. He is the pastor at Big Sky Christian Fellowship up in Big Sky. And uh, we have, uh, you've probably noticed if you've been here the last few months that we have a number of good pastor friends near us that we like to share the pulpit with. And the reason, one of the reasons we do that is because we want to know and experience what God is doing throughout our valley, not just through our pastors and, and community, but, but see how God is moving and be able to experience that in different ways. And so we invited uh, Brian to come speak again, and uh, please give a, a welcome, a Journey Church welcome to Pastor Brian Van Epps. How y'all doing, Journey? You good? All right. We're in a series called Suffering Loves Company. Very encouraging stuff. Um, we will be in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. Um, Bob, where's that underwater, um, the underwater egg thing? I want to go to that. Anyway, want to uh, just get to know you a little bit more and share a little bit about um, myself. We do live up there in Big Sky. I'm the pastor at Big Sky Christian Fellowship. And I want to share with you my family this morning. So this is my beautiful family, and if you are thinking, how did he get her? Everybody thinks that, and I just, I moved quickly. That's how I got her, okay? I didn't give her time to think. Uh, that is my beautiful wife there, Lori. We have been married for going on 14 years now, about 15 years ago. We were, yeah, 15, that sounds all right, you know, we're getting there. She's put up with me for that long, you should clap for that, um, but so we, we got engaged in Soldier Chapel about 15 years ago up there in Big Sky and married right here in the Gallatin Valley. Um, we have two kiddos. That beautiful little girl right there is Ava. Ava is four years old. Uh, she's a four-nager, as I like to say, which is like a teenager, but she's only four. Uh, she's our four-nager. And then Eli, who is six, he started kindergarten this past year and a lively little guy. We just love them, love them, love them. And we have this beautiful family. But I want to tell you more to this story. There's more to this moment than you might think. See, about 14 years ago, we got married. And a couple years into our marriage, we had that conversation. And it goes something like this. Hey, uh, do you want to have kids someday? And you're hoping that the other one says, yeah. And if not, you're like, me neither. That's kind of how that conversation goes, right? Okay. Um, so we had the conversation and we both said we were, were excited to have children. My wife at the time uh, was an elementary education uh, teacher. And I was a youth pastor at the time. And we liked kids at the time. We still do. We still do. Um, but we sat down and said, hey, let's, you know, let's, let's try to have some kiddos. And so for the first year, uh, we had a lot of fun trying, a lot, a lot of fun trying. Um, but there was no baby. And so we said, well, that was, that's kind of weird. And in year two, uh, we said, man, this, you know, this is still fun, but it's not as fun um, because, you know, part of why we're doing this is the baby. And there was no baby. About year three, uh, we decided, boy, um, we need to go talk to somebody. Something might not be working correctly here. And so uh, we went into the doctor, and uh, the next 
Two years beyond that were filled with testing, um, very crazy um, sort of experimental type stuff to try to help us conceive. If you've been through this, this journey, this walk, it's very dark and very lonely and at times very sad. Uh, ultimately, we had two miscarriages. Second miscarriage um, was what they call a blighted ovum um, where you go in for the ultrasound and where you're supposed to see the baby, uh, there is no baby. And part of me wants to jump to the next chapter of the story where we adopted Ava and Eli. Eli, we adopted him at birth. We, we were there an hour and a half too late because daddy just didn't drive fast enough. And um, we were there at Ava's because, uh, and I got to actually cut her umbilical cord. And um, so we have these two beautiful children through the gift of adoption. But I don't want to jump to that this morning. I want to talk about the middle. I want to talk about the moment when we realized that the answer was no. Yes, God still had a plan like Pastor Bob preached about a couple weeks ago. Yes, he still had a great plan, but can I be really honest with you? There was this moment in the process when we looked at each other and we realized we're not going to conceive a child. And Lori's not going to get to experience um, the highs and the lows of pregnancy. pregnancy. She, she's not going to be able to carry a baby to term. And, and this isn't in the cards for us. And we pleaded with God over and over and over again. And the answer was no. That's what I want to talk about this morning. There is a plan. There always is a plan. Oftentimes we don't get to see that whole plan, but there are very tangible moments where you beg and plead for something from God. And the answer is no. And I want to lean in because I know that in this room, there are those of you who have gone through that moment, those of you right now who are in this moment right now. Some of you are thinking, how do I get out of this room as quickly as possible? Because I don't really want to engage with that, but don't back off on me this morning. Lean into this. The way we want to look at this is from the perspective of Paul. Paul knew about suffering. He was an apostle sent to the Gentiles. Uh, he was the sent one who went and spoke the good news of the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins and rose again so that we may have new life in him. But along his journey, Paul had many, many moments of suffering. In chapter 11, right before the passage we're going to look at, he says that five different times he was given 39 lashes, one less than Jesus. Uh, three times beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. Not the kind of stoned you're thinking about. Okay, stoned, like with stones, rocks, okay. Three times shipwrecked, spent a whole night and day adrift at sea, faced many dangers of all kinds, sometimes didn't even have enough clothes to keep warm. Paul knew what it was like to suffer. And so we're going to look through his eyes this morning and we're going to deal with the tension of the moments where it feels like God is saying no. 
2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. You say, Paul, why would you boast? You, you suffered a lot. Why would you boast? Well, listen. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. Paul actually in the original text says, I knew a guy, right? I knew, I knew a man, right? So it's that I, I know a guy type, type mode. He's talking about himself. So he was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. First heaven being the atmospheric heaven, right? What we see, the second uh, heaven being space, is celestial heavens. And then the third heaven, the, the heaven where God resides. So Paul says, I got a glimpse of where God resides. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience, it's worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I want to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they see, can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from the Lord. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. This is where I want to focus in on. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from being proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Heavenly Father, I pray, I pray that you'd allow us to lean in this morning to the places of suffering in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Would you speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. I want to begin by asking you a question, a question worthy of reflection. And this is the question. What messages are you hearing? What messages are you hearing? Anybody got one of these? Check this out. That's a phone. All right. You got one of these? Okay. These little message machines. Message machines. Like you might think this is actually a phone, but it's actually a message machine. Did a little research on this this week. 18 to 24-year-olds, where are you? Where's my 18 to 24-year-olds? Make some noise, okay? All right, I can check with you on this. I'm gonna check with this group right here, okay? All right, you can say no, yes, that's inaccurate, whatever, all right? According to the survey that I was reading, you guys text around 2,000 times a month, about 50 to 60 texts a, a, a day. 
Anybody? Give me, give me some feedback. This girl's like, way, you see, you're like, way more. You're like, way more. Okay, the guys in the front are like, nah, nah, I just check sports. That's what I do. Okay, right? Awesome, I check the scores. Uh, but you're, you're like, you're, that's accurate? Yeah, 2,000. That's how many you're sending, right? And then people are sending maybe back to you. So you're somewhere in the ballpark of like four to 5,000 text messages coming through a month. 50 to 60 text messages a day. Not only that, right? On this little phone, it dings or it buzzes if you want it to when an email comes in or when a push notification comes in or it's just trying to tell you like your weekly screen report is up again this week, like, right? It just buzzes. In fact, it trains you so well that you think you feel buzzes in your pocket when you don't actually feel buzzes in your pocket, right? Or you think you hear dings when you don't even hear dings. And so you check your phone frantically and say, oh, I know something came up. I know something came up. And then it didn't. Uh, there's science behind this, actually. A uh, little bit of dopamine gets dropped into your system to make you feel good. When you hear the ding, when you get the buzz, because you've got a message. Which is why sometimes you hear that ding, you hear that buzz, and, and you almost anticipate it, and that you get excited about it, and that something like physical happens within you because of this little message machine. And here's the point. The technology is awesome, but, but the technology is not what gets you excited. You know what gets you excited? The messages. That's why you get the little dopamine drop. That's why you get excited. That's why you're a little bit addicted to this thing because of the messages that you're sending and that you're receiving because messages are powerful. Messages are powerful. Proof of this. You're in a text messaging conversation. Somebody, and, and you're sending someone a really serious text message. And so you send that text and then you send it off. It's really serious and you're waiting for their reply and then you see the three dots pop up because you're waiting, right? And they pop up and they go boop, 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 and then they disappear. And you're like, no! Why did they stop typing? And then they reappear. Boop, 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 boop. And then they disappear one more time and you're like, no! Because you're waiting on the message because messages are powerful, so it begs the question, what messages are you hearing? What messages are you hearing? See, Paul, Paul was hearing messages because he was dealing with a messenger. Verse seven says this, I, Paul, was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. See, there's a lot of debate around, around this idea of thorn in the flesh. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Theologians, they debate about this, and, and some would say, oh, it, he had something wrong with his eyesight. Maybe he was, he was like partially blind in, in, in the book of Ephesians, the letter uh, to the Ephesians. He talks about how maybe there was something wrong with his eyesight. Some people might say it was uh, some sort of mental illness or some sort of depression. Some people have said uh, it was some particular temptation or sin or that it was some one in particular. You ever had somebody who's been a thorn in your flesh? Don't look next to you right now, okay? Right? <laughs> You ever had somebody like that? Some people say maybe it was that or somebody who was some type of opposition. And here's the reality. We don't know exactly what it was. 
We don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh was. What we do know is that it was a messenger. It was a messenger from Satan to torment him and to keep him from becoming proud. And the Greek doesn't always matter, but in this situation, it does. The word messenger there is angelos, which if, if you think about it for a second, you're gonna hear the word what? Angel, right? So angelos is a word that oftentimes gets translated angel or messenger because, think about it, what do angels do? Well, they do a lot of different things, but one of the main things they do is what? They bring messages. That's right, they bring messages. So think about Christmas, right? So Mary gets this angel that shows up and says, hey, you're gonna get pregnant, but not in a typical sense, right? You're gonna have God's son. And she goes, whoa, okay. Later, an angel shows up to Joseph and he says, hey, you know that story that Mary was telling? That you were like, okay, whatever you say, Mary. Like, that's actually true. And you need to marry her and you need to take care of God's son. Good luck with that, right? Angel didn't actually say that. That's my interpretation. If you're raising God's son, good luck with that, all right? Ain't winning any fights with that kid. Just saying, just saying. The angels... I got time. Here we go. Keep going. The angels show up to the shepherds in the field, right? And they bring good news of great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The angels, they show up to the wise men and they warn them about evil King Herod. And they say, hey, don't, don't deal with that guy, King Herod. He's got bad intentions, Right? Then the angel shows up again to Joseph, says, go to Egypt, your family is in trouble. And then when the trouble is gone, the angel shows up one more time to Joseph and says, hey, it's okay to come back. The angels, they bring, they bring messages. They're messengers. And those are angels of the Lord. But what we know about this thorn in the flesh is that it's a messenger from Satan. Satan, the deceiver, the father of lies. His native tongue is lies. He does nothing other than tell lies. And so he has sent a messenger and that messenger is probably coming with what? Lies. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screw Tape letters, which is a sort of correspondence between a demon uncle and a demon nephew named Woodward and uh, Screwtape. And they talk about how to deceive and how to lie to these people that they're trying to take away from God. And in the preface, in the introduction to that book, C.S. Lewis says there's two big dangers that we need to be careful about when we're talking about uh, spiritual things in the spiritual realm. One, to assume that none of this is actually happening, that none of it is real, to assume that the devil does not exist. This is dangerous. To assume that there is not someone who wants to kill and steal and destroy you, it's dangerous and it's untrue. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. The devil is real. And, and those who are his messengers are real and their lies come at us from all angles. The other danger 
is to put too much emphasis on it and make everything an attack from Satan's and demons. Uh, like the devil made me do it. Uh, the devil didn't always make you, make you do it. Sometimes you just did it. That's just like how it is, right? Okay? You don't pin it all on the devil. You can't give him more power than, than he has, right? And so Paul is hearing a message from the messenger of the deceiver, the father of lies. He knows that it's real, but he also knows it doesn't have eternal power over him, but it's torturing him, right? It's coming after him again and again and again and again. It's torturing him. And the question would be this, what messages are you hearing? Are you hearing you're not pretty enough? If you could just be a little skinnier, if you could just look a little bit more like her, what messages are you hearing? Are you hearing you're not successful enough or you were just more successful just like that guy? What messages are you hearing? If your kids just finally behaved like, like that perfect family that you see on Instagram all the time, right? What, what messages are you hearing? That you're not enough? God could never love somebody like you? That you don't have what it takes? What messages are you hearing? Maybe you're hearing these messages. You are good enough and you don't need any of this. Why are you even here this morning? Like, look around. This is just a bunch of sheep. Bah, right? Oh, you don't need this. You're smarter than this. Seriously, this dude is talking about Satan and demons. You're going to listen to this? You're smarter than that. What, what messages are you hearing? And we don't even know the messages that Paul is hearing, but what we do know is that he wants God to take him away. And I think when we hear these messages, that's what we want too. When we hear these lies and these deceptions, we don't just want him to take him away, we want a better message. And that's exactly what God does. In fact, he doesn't take away this messenger. Right? You, would, you would sort of want, the, the American thing would be to expect that God would say, no more messenger, right? That's not what he says. God doesn't do that. God doesn't take away the messenger, but what he does is he gives a better message. Why? Because he's the God who speaks. He is the God who speaks. Paul's suffering reveals the God who speaks. Paul needed a better message. He needed God to speak to him. And that's exactly what God did. Notice the beginning of verse nine. So Paul asked three times for God to take away this thorn in the flesh. And each time he, meaning God, each time God said, and we'll stop right there because it doesn't even matter what he next says, right? It, it, we'll get there, but listen, notice this. He is the God who speaks. He's about to say something. He's not a mute God. 
He's not a God who doesn't speak. He is a God who does speak. My son Eli asked me this week. I don't know why he asked me this. He asked me these crazy questions. This is what six-year-olds do. Hey, Daddy, what was the first word in history? And I said, let there be light. If you know your Bible, go to Genesis in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God is hovering over the surface of the deep. And then God speaks the universe into creation. Like God's, God's words create all that we know and all that we see. All he has to do is say, let there be light and there is light. Why? Because he's the God who speaks. Jesus shows up and John records Jesus's life and ministry. And he begins his record of Jesus' ministry by saying this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word put on flesh and made his dwelling among us or moved into the neighborhood. See, the word became flesh Jesus came because our God is not silent. He is a God who speaks. Notice the colors of the letters that are about to come after this line. What color are they if you're reading along? Have we got it? They're red, which indicates that they are the very words of Jesus. You, 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 some of you have these Bibles, red letter Bibles. And so all the words of Jesus are in red letters and the letters themselves are red indicating that Paul is hearing from the word became flesh because God speaks. Hagar and in her suffering we learned that this is the God who sees us. Joseph in his suffering, in his highs and his lows, we learn that he is the God who is with us. Job, in his yelling at God and in his friends talking to each other and talking to him, we know he is the God who hears us. And in Paul, we hear that this is the God who speaks. So the question is, what have you heard from God lately? What have you heard from God lately? And some of you would say, wait, 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 wait. I know a guy and he tells me all the time, I hear from God and then he says some crazy stuff after that, right? Like I kind of pause whenever he says, I heard from God and you're like, oh, here we go. Like lots of people said they heard from God in history and, a lot, and there's a good chunk of them that did some really ungodly things after they said those words, I heard from God. So how do we know whether or not we're hearing from God? I wanna give you a foundation for that. The foundation for that is this. The foundation for listening for the voice of God is Bible and prayer. Last year at Big Sky Christian Fellowship, um, I was moved to say to our congregation, we're gonna do one thing this year and one thing alone. We're gonna listen for the voice of God. Typically we have uh, lots of sermon series and, and we do sort of what you guys do here, topical sermon series or, or we go through a book of the Bible. Um, but last year, 
2018, I just said to our church, I really feel convicted that God is, God is really just impressing upon me that we're supposed to listen for his voice through Bible and through prayer, through Bible. Okay, this book shows you that God doesn't just speak, but that God has spoken. Hear me, God has spoken. I'll say it this boldly. If you think you can hear the God of this Bible without this Bible, you probably aren't gonna hear him very well, right? You're probably not gonna hear him very well. And I would just say to you, these need to become the words of life for you. If you wanna hear the words of God, then go to the word of God. God is alive and active in these pages. When you open it, you're not just opening a book, you're opening something that speaks to you because he hasn't, he's just not speaking, he has spoken. So the Bible and then prayer. Prayer is just a conversation with God. I don't know how you've been taught about prayer I know Bob and, and your pastors are doing a great job in their teaching, so I'm assuming they're teaching this to you. But, but prayer is just a conversation. It's a conversation. It's you talking to God, and then, check this out, you listening. Isn't that cool? You talking to God and then listening. You don't have to raise your hands, but, but can we be honest? I'll be honest. Sometimes I relegate my prayers to a laundry list of things that Brian needs. That's what I do. Like, hey, God, don't really care what you need right now, but I got a list, okay? Right? That's not a conversation. Right? A conversation is two-way. I have a conversation with you, and you would talk to me, and I would talk to you, and I would listen to you, and I would want to hear what you have to say, and you would listen to me. It's a two-way conversation, and that's what prayer is. And if you practice this, reading the word, become flesh, you, you, you read this, you open it, you recognize that God has spoken, and then you take time to listen for the voice of God, you will recognize that he has spoken. He is the God who speaks. And in this moment, as we close together, I wanna give you one big idea about something I think he can say to us even right now. It's a suffering loves company big idea. It's, it's, it's what Paul hears from God. He hears my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. Sufficient, the word sufficient means enough. It means everything that you could possibly need. Right in the midst of it, God says to him, I'm not gonna fix this because my grace is all that you need. And the usage of grace here isn't just about getting your sins forgiven. That's part of it. But the word grace here is being used to talk about the unfolding work of God's goodwill the unfolding work of what God is doing in Paul's life right there in that moment as he is crying out to God, please take this away from me. Please fix this for me. God says, no, my grace is all that you need.
and I want to say this to us this morning. I, I, let, me, let me get out of the way. I think God wants to say this to some of you specifically this morning. His grace is all you need. Some of you want it to be fixed. Some of you want a cure, and he wants to bring you wholeness because his grace is all you need. You say, Brian, you have no idea what I'm going through. His grace is all that you need. Brian, you don't understand how long this has been going on. His grace is all that you need. Brian, I don't think I can go on one minute more in the midst of this. His grace is all that you need. Brian, he doesn't understand. How could he understand? See, Jesus, right before he was betrayed, he went to the garden. And he always went to the garden. And we know this because Judas knew exactly where to find him because Judas had been with him over and over and over again when they had gone to the garden. And the garden was one of the places where Jesus would go to listen for his father's voice. So Jesus takes his disciples with him and he goes to that garden just hours before he was going to be betrayed, just not long before he was going to be nailed to a cross for the forgiveness of sins so that grace may unfold in your life. And he kneels down and he sweats to the point of blood on the ground and he cries out, God, let this cup pass from me if there's any other way he prays it once. And then he bows down again and he prays it a second time. God, this cup of wrath, if there's any other way that it can pass from me, let it pass. And then a third time, drops to his knees and he says, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Because he knew God's grace is enough. His grace is enough. His grace is enough for him and his grace is enough for you. Heavenly Father, make these words come alive in us. Be the God who speaks. God, I pray for those in the room whose relationships are struggling right now who are feeling brokenness and who are feeling pain and suffering in their relationships. I pray for those whose finances are bleak right now and they don't know how they're gonna make it. I pray, God, that you would draw close to them. I pray, God, for those who are struggling with secret sin and temptation in their lives and, and, and they just cannot get rid of it. I pray for those, God, who are broken physically right now and their bodies aren't working or they have loved ones whose bodies aren't working and they're crying out to you over and over and over again. God, hear us. And I pray, God, over all of these situations that you know intimately and more. 
that you would speak. Your grace is all that we need. We thank you, Jesus, that you are not dead, but that you are alive. That the grave could not hold you. That you are a living God who speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.